Do you need a break from the news? Well, my friend, Nerdette Podcast is here for you. Our show is all about delight. We laugh about what's happening in pop culture and feature thoughtful interviews with fascinating people. We even have a monthly book club that you can participate in. I could just go on and on about it. I loved this book. It was an experience, I'll tell you that. (laughs) I discovered authors I had never heard of, and I'm really happy that I did. Come hang out with us. Listen to Nerdette wherever you get your podcasts. When were the... What school's up? Who decides what the next... Where's that story? Why is they keep the loop? What is this? It's Curious City. Where WBEZ answers your questions... About Chicago, the region, and its people. Hey, this is Jesse Dukes, audio producer with Curious City. And I'm Jen Mason-Garb of the Chicago Architecture Foundation, where I'm the director of interpretation and research. So Curious City and the Chicago Architecture Foundation have a partnership. We've been working together for a couple years now to answer questions about architecture and the built environment. And this question stands out. It's different than some of the other ones we've taken on. It comes from Rachel Glick, who recently moved to Oak Park. Let's hear it. Well, I was wondering if this historic architecture in Chicago is so celebrated and everyone thinks it's so beautiful and wonderful, why didn't they continue designing in that beautiful, wonderful way? Jen, you really wanted to answer this question. Why? For several reasons. One is that this is a question we get a lot at the Chicago Architecture Foundation, and our docents deal with this a lot on all of the thousands and thousands of tours that we give every year. It's a fascinating question because architects throughout history have constantly dealt with this question. What should our building look like? And Rachel's question, it sort of suggests some biases, right? It definitely does. (laughs) She says these beautiful buildings (laughs) of the past suggest she doesn't like more contemporary buildings. What did you want to challenge Rachel to understand? I think one of my goals with her, but also with our audiences in general, is not to necessarily convince you that something is is good or bad, but to help you understand why it looks the way it does. Hmm. If you can understand the rationale of what the architect was trying to do, you're going to appreciate it in a different way. Huh. Let's get a sense of what Rachel means when she says beautiful. She's got strong opinions. (laughs) Yes. We met her a few weeks ago at the intersection of Michigan and Wacker. We were looking across the Chicago River at a couple of buildings from the 1920s that we knew she felt were beautiful. And the first voice we'll hear is you, Jen. So we're looking across the river at the Wrigley Building, this kind of creamy white terracotta building with a clock tower at the top. And then we're also looking at the Tribune Tower, light-colored limestone building with flying buttresses and all sorts of Gothic revival filigree up at the top. So as you stand here and look at these two buildings, what makes you smile? Why do you think these are beautiful? These two have many different tiers. They have different levels and different shapes throughout the whole building from bottom to top. And then there's tons of details. There's round windows and square windows and it's just, it looks like a Gothic church. It's beautiful. Basically, her question is, why don't we just copy the style of the Wrigley Building and the Tribune Tower over and over again? And so to answer, over the course of a couple of weeks, we visited a bunch of buildings with Rachel. And I thought each of these would offer a different aspect to answering the question. Yeah, and then you started us off at the formerly known as IBM building, now the AMA Plaza, just a few blocks away from the Wrigley and the Tribune. Why? 
The design of the IBM building represents a backlash against those historical buildings that Rachel actually does like. It was a building that was designed by Ludwig Mies van der Rohe in 1969. Mies van der Rohe and the other contemporaries of his time had a radically different idea about what architecture should look like. Rather than seeing history as a way to sort of give your buildings validity or solidity or like timelessness, right? They're seeing all that extra stuff that you might put on the building, all those connections to the past as a burden. They wanted something that had no extra applied ornamentation. To their minds, what made the building beautiful was the materials that you chose and also the way that you put the materials together. So the steel and the glass and the concrete. Rather than seeing the building like mass, like a solid thing that you're carving out of, they were thinking about buildings like a volume, like a glass of water. Okay, so at this moment... Jen, you ask Rachel to look at the formerly known as IBM building, and she doesn't really seem to see what you see in it. Um, But this is more kind of like this glass of water, right? Kind of, but I don't really see it as glass of water just because to me it's heavy. It's It's all black. It it is more, a little more, it's a little bit, a little more transparent. I can see it's It's, more transparent. It's, mm -hmm. I mean, one word might be flimsy. Could be. So is she buying it? Yeah, no, she is not convinced at all. (laughs) But we wanted to investigate another building, a more contemporary building. We went to the Spurtis Institute. It's at 610 South Michigan, finished in 2006. And uh, we met uh, one of the architects who designed the building, Mark Sexton of Crook and Sexton. Let's let Rachel set the scene. It's a very modern building. There's, it looks like it's completely made of glass and it's just wedged in between some of the most historic architecture in Chicago. But it's it's really interesting angles on the glass. It's a series of triangles and other interesting shapes that protrude from the building and go back into the building. And it's almost like a bent up sail made of glass. Neat. Do you like it? I do. I actually like it. <laughs> she does. She likes this she... new new building. I thought it was important for Rachel to hear from a living architect who's wrestling with these questions today about what a building should look like. Mark Sexton is an architect whose philosophies, I think, are strongly influenced by Mies van der Rohe. He's part of that same lineage. And Mies van der Rohe is the one who designed those buildings that Rachel didn't particularly care for. Exactly. And Mark is also an architect who cares deeply about aesthetics. And so when we were inside the building, I wanted him to answer this hypothetical question. Mark, let's say that Spurtis had come to you and said, we'd, we'd like you to design the new, the new center, but we want it to really sort of mimic that historic building down the street by Daniel Burnham built at the beginning of the 20th century. Can, can you do that? What would you have said? I w- would think that there's probably another architect that could do it better. <laughs> so I would say we probably would not have taken it because my view is you don't build buildings like you did 100 years ago because the performance of a building, the expectation of that performance from an energy, from a use, and from flexibility is just so much higher and different than it was when those buildings were built. Wait, so then are are you saying that, say, the the building next door to us is going to cost a lot more money to uh, heat? What are the practical distinctions? Well, perfect example. Next door, it's most likely a steel building that is actually then covered in masonry. That masonry wall, it may be 18 inches or 20 inches in, in thickness. As we stand here at this building, the depth of our facade is about an inch and a quarter. So the difference between 
18 or 20 inches and an inch and a quarter because we use glass here over the whole course of a building adds a lot of, of value. Literally more square footage for offices or gallery space exactly. or what have you. Yeah. It's very cool. <laughs> I like the building. I think she's coming around. I think hearing from a living architect was probably helpful. And I think she's also realizing that with the same palette of materials, you can do different things, right? Hmm. Because Mark is also designing in steel and glass and concrete, just as Mies was designing in steel and glass and concrete. Hmm. Certainly, there are architects and developers today that choose to design buildings that borrow from the past or even mimic the past. Mark's not one of them. Mark is not one of them. No, no. Um, But to make a building look like a different era costs more. Okay, so you talked to Rachel about this historic shift to modernism in the middle of the 20th century, moving to different materials and getting rid of ornamentation. And we've heard from Mark Sexton at Spurtis about this idea of performance and how contemporary materials allow him to get more value out of the buildings he designs. And it seems like she gets all that. But when it comes to those 1950s and 60s steel and glass buildings, do you do you feel like you ever got through to her? Well, I really wanted to let Rachel see how modernists like Mies van der Rohe see beauty. And for them, that beauty is in the materials and the way the materials are put together. And so the best place to see that, I think, is at Mises Federal Center. This open plaza in between these three federal buildings, all designed by Mies van der Rohe in the 1960s and into the 1970s. And these are all black and steel buildings. Just like the ones she didn't like. Just like the ones she didn't like. The ground is covered by these granite pavers. And I wanted her to look closely at the seams of these granite pavers that kind of create this grid, almost as if the three buildings were built on a sheet of graph paper. Okay, let's hear how it went. And if you look at the seam here, follow your eye this way. And where does the seam go? It goes right into a pillar or the Uh beam. A column. Column. Yep, and not only does it go to the column, it goes where to the column? Directly middle. Right to the middle of the column, right? Okay, now look at this seam. Oh, wow, that one does too. The next seam goes right to another column. Right, follow your eye this way. Oh, okay. To the middle of a column. To the middle of that column, right. Yeah, and and this one's across the street. Across the street, yeah. So these three buildings... There's this harmony between them because everything lines up with everything. The light fixtures, (laughs) the columns. Like, look at this corner here. Like, so this is a a, a steel uh, column. This welding here, have you ever done any welding? It's like hard and it's really hard to make it look good. And this is kind of what I was getting at earlier, like this craftsmanship of how one material is joined to another is what the modernists were fascinated with. Well, I will say, I can definitely appreciate this. Like, um, I still don't think it's the most uplifting, wonderful feeling or color or look. Regardless of whether you like this or not, is there anything that, you know, going forward you're going to be looking at more when you look at a modern building? Definitely. I mean, one, I'll be considering like, oh, which era is that from? And what were they thinking at the time? And I still have my feelings about several buildings, but at least the 50s and 60s buildings I can appreciate. There is a beauty in it. How does that make you feel? (laughs) I'm happy. I'm happy that there's hints of there about sort of appreciation. And I think that's what it's about. 
Well, reporting this week came from me, Jesse Dukes. And me, Jen Masongarb. Who comes to Curious City, courtesy of the Chicago Architecture Foundation. Where our mission is to help you discover why design matters. Support for Curious City comes from the Doris and Howard Conant Fund for Journalism. And by the way, the next time you look up in Chicago and see some detail on a building that looks weird or funny or ugly, go to wbez.org slash Curious City and ask us a question about it. Maybe we can help you appreciate it, just like Rachel. It looks like a little tacky, like if it was a teeny little children's toy model, it wouldn't be so bad. Yeah, I'm still not a huge fan of it. Or maybe not. Curious City is supported by Goose Island. Since 1988, Goose Island has been following their curiosity and have been committed to brewing beers for Chicago that are celebrated worldwide by beer critics and beer lovers alike. More at gooseisland.com. We don't need to be the only beer you drink. We just want to be the best you drink. Next time on Curious City... A storm is brewing in Chicagoland as mattress stores vie for regional supremacy. Mattress Firm and Sleepies are the new guys in the area. And so it's like a mattress war, I would guess you would say. So we're moving around. We're looking for new locations. They're adding new locations. You can't, like, throw a rock without hitting a mattress store right about now. Bedtime is coming. That's next on WBEZ's Curious City. Before we start the show, we here at Curious City want to let you in on a little-known fact about WBEZ. 89% of all our funding comes from community support, including contributions from curious listeners like you. If this program has changed how you see Chicago, please consider supporting this program at wbez.org curious. Thank you.